Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Well, good morning. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here, and welcome to Three Creeks Church. If you're here for the first time, I just want to say thanks for waking up and not changing your mind. It would have been a lot easier to say, nah, never mind. I'm going to first watch, but you are here, and so for that, I'm grateful. Thanks for coming. Uh, You look and smell significantly better than the rest of the crew that I've been with this weekend. I was on the men's retreat, and I trekked back yesterday afternoon and uh, let me just tell you that, that uh, man, to get to be there and to watch four people, specifically Nick and Jim and Josh and Aaron, four men in our church have this vision to start a men's retreat, to watch them lead and, be a, and, and just be at the helm, made me very grateful to be in a church where the staff doesn't have to do everything, but rather the people of our church feel empowered to lead. And I love that about our church. Uh, coincidentally, uncoordinated, they too chose to be going through the book of Joshua. And so Friday night and Saturday morning, I got to just sit underneath a couple of them as they taught through this. And uh, man, the Lord was working in my heart. They're all on their way home right now. And so I just thought I would open up today's message by praying for those men. Uh, They were talking about not coming home and just being the guys that went camping, but rather coming home and being kind, servant-hearted leaders for our church and their families. So will you join me as, they, as I pray for those people and for myself as I dive in? Father, for the 24 men that went out to take a break from it all and to be with you, I pray as they drive home today, they're probably in their cars right now, would you fill their cars and their minds with reminders of what you have done in their lives this weekend Lord, as we, you know, as as some of the the wives and and kids receive them home today, Father, would you prevent us from doubting that you've done something in their life? Help us to believe that you're at work in their life, and Lord, would you raise up those 24 men to love and lead their families in our church, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, we're in Joshua 3, I'm uh, just generally a fairly pumped up guy most of the time. Today, I'm extra amped. I'm so excited about what I get to share. Uh, we've, we're in week three of our series. We'll be here three more weeks. Today, I came here to tell you that God is more powerful than you think that he is. And he loves you more than you think that he does. And he is capable And he is able to do more than you think that he is. It is beyond your comprehension, these three things that I've shared with you. And I know that in a room this size, with this many people, living in this city, in this country, I know that not everybody here would raise their hand if I said, hey, who just feels like relationally, they're just killing it right now? You're exactly where you want to be. I know there's people that couldn't raise their hand. I know there's people in this room who are 
If I, if I ask what feels heavy, they would say, it's the decisions that my kids are making. I know there's people in the room who would do anything to get out of the depression that they're in, but they just can't seem to do it. I know there's people in the room, a room this size, there, there's got to be people in here who would do anything to grow their family. And God hasn't said yes to that yet. And I know somebody in here has a friendship that was recently broken, and you're wondering if it will ever be reconciled again. And I know, I know there's somebody in here who loves Jesus and has a family member who they love who doesn't follow Jesus. And so when I say what feels heavy, you immediately think of people that are so close to you that don't believe the same things that you do about God. And if you're anything like me, sometimes when those, those heavy things last a while, I begin, I begin to lose hope. I begin to have thoughts of like, man, that one just seems too far gone. It has been too long. I know I'm the pastor I'm not supposed to feel that way. I'm supposed to always believe in God. I'm just being honest. There are times where I, situations I go, man, that one just seems like the ship has sailed. There's no hope there. I'm, I'm excited to point you to Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4 as a way to stir up hope in a God that can do more than we think that he can. He loves us more than we think that he does, and he's able to do more than we ever thought that he could. Remember, right before we go into Joshua chapter 3, remember, give me 30 seconds to catch you up in case you weren't here. In Joshua chapter 1, all the Israelites, after wandering 40 years in the desert, have come to the east side of the Jordan River. Now they have to cross it to go and take the land that God has promised them. Moses was their guy. He's an all-time great. He's in the hall of fame of Israel leaders. Well, he died and passes the baton to Joshua. And Joshua is now up to bat. And he is going to be the one that leads them across the Jordan River into this new promised land. You see, Joshua was there. This is important. Joshua was there when Exodus, that passage that Amy read a few minutes ago, when Moses lifted up his staff and the Red Sea split, Joshua was there. Nobody else was, though. Just Joshua and his friend Caleb. They're the only two people left that saw that with their own eyes. And now they face the Jordan River and Jericho right on the other side. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Early the next morning, this is right after the spies got back from checking out Jericho. Early the next morning, Joshua... And all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. The Levitical priests are the most religious people. They're the, the pastors, if you will, of the nation of Israel. 
they're noticeable, they're easy to identify. If they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant through, through the city or through the camp, well, it's going to be pretty obvious that uh, they can't miss it. And in the morning, look at verse 6, in the morning Joshua said to the, Levit the Levitical priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Ark of the Covenant, this is, this is important, the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned 17 times in this story. It's like the writer wanted to make sure that nobody was able to read this and ignore the fact that it was the Ark of the Covenant that the Levitical priests were carrying. The Ark of the Covenant, the sign of God's presence among his people at this particular time, meets them at every turn, reminding us that it is God himself who is going to lead the people into Canaan. It is God who is going to cut off the water and he's going to hold it up like a kid holds his hand at a splash pad. It's God's hand that is going to do this. And he mentions the Ark of the Covenant 17 times to make sure that you remember it. This whole affair is God's feet and the Israelites, though active, are primarily spectators in what we're about to read. If you skip a few verses and go to verse 9, this is what happens next. Joshua told the Israelites, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. You are going to see something that is going to blow your mind. It is going to be beyond my capability and yours, Israelites. Are you ready for this? He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, there it is again, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now, this is important. Now, choose 12 men from the different tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, and as soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. And everybody gathered says, wait, 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 what? the river's going to stop flowing? And then someone says, you know what? I've heard about this. My grandpa and grandma told me a story about this. They told me that the Red Sea did this. And this, this faith begins to grow in these people that God might do something that they can't imagine because grandma and grandpa told me a story about this. They remembered what God had done and it inspires them to believe in what God could do. So the people, they don't say, Joshua, you're nuts. They remember what their ancestors told them, and so the people left their camp to cross the Jordan. That's verse 14. And the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathan, and the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. 
and all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Just like grandma and grandpa said, it happened. It happens again. And it's interesting that the writer just kind of inserts this one sentence in there that says, it was harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Where they crossed, it was maybe between 200 meters wide or up to a mile wide, depending on the season. And because it was the spring and because the water was high, we're talking about a mile wide Jordan River. Maybe, maybe if it was 200 yards, maybe human engineering could have been, that's a pretty big blockage, pretty big dam that they would have had to build, but you go, maybe 200 yards they could have built up something that would redirect the water. It seems possible, but a mile, a mile wide, do you think it's a coincidence that the Lord wanted to do this when the river was high? Is it possible that in our lives, God wants things to get to a point where we couldn't do it ourselves so that he can show that he's the one that did it? Nothing about this makes any sense logically. The people should have logically just stayed at camp and said, Joshua, can we come up with something? Can we wait for the dry season and then build a bridge? But because they remembered what God had done, it inspired them to believe in what God could do. So meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. And they waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed on dry ground. The water stopped at a real village called Adam and a real place called Zarethan. Some have estimated that two million Israelites crossed on dry ground. The current was swift, the water was cold, and without God it was impossible. But by the incomparably great power of God, the whole nation of Israel crosses on dry ground just like their grandparents did at the Red Sea. And now, this is, this is, this is where I'm going to spend the rest of our time, and this is really the point that I wanted you to see today. Watch what God does now. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And it would have just been unbelievable to see it or be there. But this is the part, this is the takeaway for us. Joshua 4, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now, choose 12 men, one from each tribe, and tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, carry them out and pile them up at a place where you will camp tonight. And so Joshua called the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and he told him, go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God, and each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder. Don't pick up a little rock. Don't get a little one that you can hold in your hands. Get a big one that has to be put on your shoulder. 12 stones in all, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And we will use these stones to build a memorial, an altar. And in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. And these stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Joshua says, we're going to build an altar with these stones. So go get a rock. 
all 12 of you, go get a rock. Go, to, go get a big one. Put it on your shoulder. We're, we're building an altar. And one day your kids are going to ask you, why are these rocks piled up here? Mom, Dad, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them, this is what God did for us. He stopped the river, and we walked across the Jordan right here. Here's the last few verses I'll read. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. And then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? And you can tell him, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we all crossed over. He did it again. He did it again. We see here that God is not merely a three-letter word of Christian jargon, He's not the honorary leader of our club. He's the living God who works and intervenes and comes and saves and rescues and counsels people in all of their perplexities and situations. We, I, need to renounce my tendency to punify God and carve him down to my stature and limit him to my possibilities. Imagine it. Imagine the scene. 20 years later, there's a Jewish man who loves to fish with a six-year-old son. And the six-year-old son can't wait to go fishing with dad, but he's not big enough yet. And so dad comes into the house one day and he says, hey guys, I'm going to take off. I'm going to go fish for a few hours. And the son says, dad, today can I come? Am I big enough? And he looks at him and he goes, you know what? Today's the day. You're coming with dad. And, and, and the six-year-old can't believe it. And so he runs in and tells his mom, Mom, I'm big enough. I'm going fishing with dad. And we are going to catch so many. Get ready to cook some fish because I'm going fishing. And the dad gives his son this big old net. And he throws it over his shoulder. But he's just a little guy. So it drags in the ground. And they start making their way towards the Jordan River. And just like every six-year-old boy does, the boy just starts firing questions. Dad, how did you get so strong? Dad, what's the biggest fish you ever caught in your life? Dad, do you think there's sharks in the Jordan River? You know he's asking that. Dad, do you think that a shark could beat up a ninja turtle? These are the questions that they ask. And they come to the Jordan River, and they're at a place near Gilgal, and there's 12 stones piled up, and they're kind of out of the way. They're not, you know, it's man-made. It's, it it kind of sticks out. And the six-year-old son looks at his dad and he says, hey, dad, what do those stones mean? Why are they all piled up like that? And I can just imagine this dad just grabbing his son's face and he goes, man, I'm so glad you asked. Listen to what God did here, son. See the river? Me and your mom and your uncle and your aunt and your grandma and your grandpa, we all walked across the river right there where it was dry, like God stopped the water up by Adam. You remember when we went to Adam up in Zarethan? 
God stopped the water all the way up there, and, and we walked right there. That is how powerful God is. And, and the six-year-old mind is just like, what? And then the six-year-old asks an unbelievably important question. He says, Dad, you think God can still do stuff like that? When, when we remember what God has done, it helps us believe in what God can do. It, is it possible that the greatest enemy of our faith is just forgetfulness? That we forget what God has done and, and we just begin to make this JV version of God. When we remember what God has done, it helps us believe in what God can do. What do you want God to do in your life? Think about it for a second. What seems too hard? It's been too long. It's too far gone. Logically, I don't think so. What prayer is the prayer that you've been praying for years? What burden is the heaviest? What seems impossible? I mean, we all, uh, we all have them. We all think of stuff. I remember getting a phone call from my friend Shay that he said, hey, you got to call Mallory because uh, our friend David just had a five-minute seizure, and he's being rushed to the hospital. And I called Mallory, and David had a brain tumor. And they said they're going in for, you know, emergency brain surgery. And they think they got, and then after the surgery, they, you know, they think they got it all. And they said, but there's a pretty good chance this thing's going to come back. And we just began to pray for David. And we began to pray that it would never come back. And I talked to David on Thursday. He's seven and a half years later. Just had his last scan. Nothing. Totally clean. So when I remember what God has done, it helps me remember, it helps me believe that God is a healer. That he can do it. That he does intervene. And so when I remember... What God has done, it helps me believe in what God can do. I, I, remember, I remember a girl named Jonna Meister. Jonna was struggling with mental health. And I remember being there in the youth tab at Beulah Beach. And I remember while we were singing, Jonna just couldn't handle it. Something was going on in her spirit and she was having an anxiety attack that I've, nothing like I've ever seen before. And she came out of the back of the youth tap. And I remember being there with Hannah Sterry and a couple other people. And I remember praying for her. I remember just praying that God would deliver her. I've never seen anything like it. And in a, in a moment, her breathing slowed. Right, just instantly, she sat up. And so... so 
when I remember that story and when I go back there in my mind, it helps me believe that God really does answer my prayers and he really does care about our minds and he really can change what's happening in our minds. Like, I, be I believe that. I remember when we did the very first Gehenna gift shot. <laughs> we, we probably shot too high. We were going for like 600 gifts or something like that. We had like 60 people in our church, and it's probably a little bit too much to ask. And we were 100 gifts short with one week to go. And everybody was already tapped out. Everybody had already given way more than they probably should have. And I remember somebody walking up to me one week before the gift shop and saying, I don't know why I'm doing this, and I, I just know God wants me to do it. And he handed me a check. We had been asking for $20 gifts. We needed 100 gifts to make it. And the check was for $2,000. And so I just remember, I remember the whole thing, shaking the person's hand. It was one of those like check in the hand handshakes. You know what I'm talking about? You don't want anybody to see? And I remember looking at it when I got in my car and I just thought, you do provide. What, what, if, we, if we step out in faith and do what you want us to do, God, you will provide. And so it helps me believe in what God can do. I remember, I remember Cody and Mindy McManaway. Cody's an elder here in our church. And I remember that for five years, they wanted to grow their family. And I remember them coming over to my breezeway. And I remember them saying, this month, we're not trying anything extra. No doctors, no hospitals, no nothing. We're asking our friends to pray. I remember it. Me, Morgan, Cody, Mindy. And Morgan and I looked at him and said, we're gonna, we're, we'll pray with you. We're praying this month. And that month, God blessed them with a pregnancy. And Nora is probably back there jumping on a bounce house. She's in Black Lake Elementary School, just killing it. And so I remember that God answers prayers. And I remember, I remember that if we step out in faith, that he cares and he sees us. I remember... Man, I remember Conrad Taylor. Have I ever told you about Conrad Taylor? Probably I have, because it's my favorite story. Conrad was, he was the goalie on my soccer team in high school. And when I would carpool with him and try to play some switch foot, which rocked, by the way, he would say, is this Christian music? And I'm like, well, they're Christians. And he'd, he would reach down and turn it off. Devout atheist, nothing to do with God. I remember praying for Conrad every day for years. He was at the top of my prayer journal every day for years. And I remember seeing something on Facebook where I was, it, was, it was from Conrad's wife who posted a picture of Conrad getting baptized. And so I called Conrad. I'm like, what is going on, dude? He goes, I found the Lord. God has saved my soul. I'm following Jesus. He didn't even know I was praying for him. 
And so when I remember that, that, that story is so much longer and better than I just told it, but oh my gosh, it just reminds me that everybody I love who doesn't know the Lord yet, they're not too far gone. That God does reach down into unbelievable circumstances and show people how much he loves them. And so it helps me remember what God can do. And, and, and a great enemy of my faith is forgetfulness because I don't think about these stories every day. But when I read a story like Joshua 3 and 4, it forces me to remember what God has done, what I've seen him do, and it helps me remember that he's more powerful than I think that he is. He loves me more than I think that he does, and he can do more than I think that he Here, Here's the last one. Something unbelievable happened to me. Unbelievable. It's the most amazing thing that ever happened to me as a person. In March of 1992, God saved my soul. I was five and a half years old, and God Almighty, who is in heaven, forgave the sins of Joel Timothy Trainer, a five and a half year old boy. That is the most amazing thing that has ever happened to me and will ever happen to me. I don't need another miracle. This is the miracle of my life. I've had this rock ever since then. I've lost it like three times since then, but it keeps coming up. And now I put it up on my mantle in my house. Morgan hasn't moved it yet. She probably will soon. It's kind of ugly. But I'm going to keep putting it up there. My kids haven't asked me yet, but I hope one day that my kids will say, hey, Dad, what does that stone mean? What does that rock mean? And I'm going to grab it, and I'm going to hold it, and I'm going to look at them in the eyes. I'm going to hold their faces. I'm going to say, God, through Jesus, forgave all of Dad's sins. And Dad's going to heaven because God loves him. And that's what this stone means. And I hope and I pray that my kids will say, Dad, does God still do stuff like that? Because I'll say, yes, he still does stuff like that. Do you want that to happen for you? So, so the takeaway today for you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Today, if you're, if you're tracking with me, if you're picking up what I'm laying down, I want you to go somewhere today and find a rock. It can be this big or this big or anywhere in between. Find a rock. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day. And let it be a reminder to you that God can do it. Let it be a reminder to you that the Israelites walked across on dry land and that God can do it today. He can do amazing things. And attach whatever, whatever's weighing the heaviest, the prayer request that comes first to mind. Attach that stone to that prayer. And let that stone remind you to pray and ask God to do it. And, and, and maybe he does it. Maybe he says yes. And if he does, don't touch that rock. Don't touch it. Leave it there. And someday maybe somebody will come by and say, what does that stone mean? And you can tell that story. And somebody might say, can God do stuff like that today? And you can say, 
Yes, he can. And when we remember what God has done, it helps us believe in what God can do. Will you let me pray for you, and then we'll sing a song together? Lord, I don't know what comes to mind first, but I imagine that there are a lot of requests that seem too far gone. Kids that have run too far away, relationships that are broken to the point of, is it even possible to repair it? Habits, addictions that just can't seem to be broken. I just imagine that there is so much stuff that feels beyond our control. And Lord, today, would you remind us that you can do it, that you love us more than we think that you do, that you're more powerful than we think that you are, and that you're able to do more than we can even imagine. Lord, would you bring to our minds, help us to recall ways that you have done this before. Help us to pray in faith because we know that you've done it before and you can do it again and we pray that in Jesus name amen this is how we're going to close today if you you might not have a rock but if at any point in your life you have prayed and you have said I'm going to be a Jesus follower I'm in I'm a Christian then one of the great honors of a Christian's life is that they get to take communion so there's some bread and some juice. There's two here. There's a couple more right in the middle aisle. And if you're a Christian, this is a chance to remember what Jesus has done for us. Remember, Jesus was sitting with his disciples. And he was, they were just eating together. And he passed the bread around. This is the night before he was killed. Passed the bread around. He said, this is my body given for you. And he passed a cup around. He said, this is my blood shed for you. And then go and do this in remembrance of me. So for 2,000 years, Christians have been doing this in remembrance of Christ. And so when you come take communion with the thought of Jesus and what he's done and who he is, would that just fill your mind? And then after everybody's taken communion, we're going to sing a song about the promises of God. And the way we end every service here at Three Creeks is that we always have a prayer team in the back. So there'll be three or four people right back there. You know, if, if, if something comes to mind as an impossible thing that you want God to do in your life, like if something comes to mind, but, but if you're just being honest, you're sitting there and you're still struggling to believe that it's possible, Maybe the greatest step of obedience that you could take today would be to invite somebody else into it and let the faith of a brother or sister stir up yours. Let's cover for each other. This is not a solo mission. We are a church. And so that prayer team will be back there. And if you're just finding yourself wanting to believe it but not being able to believe it, go back there and let somebody pray it with you, for you, over you. It's a big moment for some of us. A watershed moment in faith for some of us. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. So communion's right here. Instructions are on the screen. Take your time. When everybody's done, we'll sing. And the prayer team's back there. Let's just spend a few minutes with the Lord.
Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.